know, COVID has caused a lot of change in our everyday lives uh, over the past couple of years, right? Um, and one of the ways in which COVID has changed us is in the way stores and businesses and restaurants are ran. You know, just this past week, I was picking up groceries for this weekend, you know, out there grabbing all of my brine mixed for my ribs at Walmart. And, and at, at 10 p.m. at night, I'm grabbing my brine, and there's an announcement over the intercom, and it says, Walmart will be closed what? Walmart will be closed. What do you mean Walmart will be closed? Walmart doesn't close, right? No, Walmart will be closed in an hour. Hurry up, get your stuff, get out. She didn't say that, but something to those effects, something along those lines. And so Walmart closes now. Kroger closes and other places close and other places close early. You know, restaurants, Sonics, and places like that close earlier than normal now. I was, in fact, going to Sonic. I didn't mean to call them out because I didn't want to call out my, call out my, my dear friends at Sonics that work there. But nevertheless, the name's out there now. So I was going to Sonic, and they closed at 9 o'clock in a coat. This is a COVID hour. They closed at 9 o'clock, and I'm like, okay, check my clock. I'm looking for a late-night snack, love the cho uh, tots with cheese. It's 8.45. I got five minutes between me and Sonic. I can get there, and it'll be 8.50. And I got there at 8.50. And so they're already closing early. And I got there at 8.50, and they were closed. Apparently, the employees decided upon their own, uh, on their own uh, decision to just shut it down. You know, there's not enough people here showing up, so we're just going to shut it down. And, and, and in some sense, I was upset, right, because, I mean, they're supposed to close at 9 o'clock, and I was ready to call a corporate office and say, hey, you got folks closing early and people can't get cheese tots. But then I realized that was a little, little ridiculous. And so I also thought about the fact that this is kind of how our culture works. You know, the early bird gets the worm, and you have to be on time. And if you come in late, there's a possibility you're going to miss some things. And so I kind of settled down because I, because I realized, hey, these people probably got some stuff to do. There was probably a reason why they shut down, and maybe, maybe I should have just been here earlier, right? Because that's kind of the way the world works. Except that's not the way the kingdom does. It's interesting, right? Because you would think that, I mean, when people think about the kingdom, they're thinking about rules and standards and law and all these sorts of things. And so they would think that if, it, if it's certainly in the kingdom, you need to be on time because if you're not on time, you're probably going to miss something. At least that's what Peter thinks. You say, why did you say Peter? Well, like so many parables, as, as you know, we're in a series talking about parables right now, and in so many parables... What happens before the parable sets the stage for what the parable is actually about. And in chapter 20, it's no difference. Here's the key word for you in chapter 20, the very first word, for. Remember, we've talked about this, City Light. Whenever you see the word for, you're saying because, you're saying in light of, you're saying for this reason. And so we have to understand what is the reason behind the for? Why is Jesus introducing this parable to us? And the reason why he's introducing this parable to us is in verses 16 through 30 of chapter 19. 
In that story, chapter 19, verses 16 through 30, Jesus encounters a rich young ruler who asks Jesus in verse 16, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him um, about his commitment to the commandments. The young man responds as he asks him about his commitment to the commandments. He asks him which commandment, and then Jesus begins to list those commandments, right? In verses 18 through 19 of chapter 19, it says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And upon hearing this, the young man said to him, all these I have... What do I still lack? And Jesus responded with the haymaker. Sell everything you possess. Take the proceeds, give them to the poor, and you will be rich in heaven. Hold that thought. It's important. And come and follow me. Now, of course, if you know this story, you know that the rich man doesn't heed Jesus' call. The Bible says he leaves sorrowful. But that's not the important part for us this morning. The important part, just like last week, is how does one disciple, and it just so happens to be the same disciple this week, Peter, it usually is him, respond to the call? And then how does Jesus respond to Peter? And so in verse 27 of chapter 19, we get Peter's response. So Jesus talks about the fact that it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven and, and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go into the kingdom or, or for a rich man to get into the kingdom. And then the disciples, they're, they're in shock and awe, like, who, how in the world can someone be saved then? God says, with, uh, with man, these things will be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then Peter stands up as he normally does and has something to say. And he says it in verse 27, see God, Jesus, rather we have left everything and followed you, what then will we have? Peter's question is a straightforward one. If there is treasure in heaven, Lord, like you just told this guy, this guy didn't want to leave, leave his treasure here in order to have that treasure, but we have left everything to follow you. Then how much is given to those of us who have dropped everything and have spent our lives walking with you. And Jesus' answer is somewhat straightforward, but in another sense, he introduces a little bit of nuance and complexity in here. He says in verse 28, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Everyone will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Life. Everyone who has left will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And here's the rub, verse 30. This is the rub. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, this is where the kingdom economy and the world's economy breaks. Because the world's economy says early bird gets the worm. The world's economy says, hey, brother, 950, sorry, man. No cheese tots for you tonight, right? But, but, but the kingdom economy says something entirely different. 
And that's why, it's not, that's why it's unlike any other kingdom in all of the world. The kingdom economy, in fact, does not run primarily on merit, deserving. Who's deserving? Who's not deserving? Who's talented? Who's not talented? Who started early? Who started late? Who arrived early? Who arrived late? No, rather the kingdom economy runs primarily on grace. And grace isn't necessarily what we would always consider to be fair. And it's not always what we would consider to be fair because by its very nature, it's undeserving. And to highlight this, Jesus tells a story. That story is in Matthew chapter 20. Let's go back to the first couple of verses. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Then the sixth hour. Then the ninth hour. And then the eleventh hour. He went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now, if we are all tracking, this is a 12-hour shift apparently. The 11th hour is the last hour before everybody calls it quitting time and goes home. The laborers are obvious in this text. Who are the laborers? The laborers are, the, the laborers are us. The laborers are people that are working in the fields for the Lord. Who's the landowner? The landowner is obvious as well. The landowner is God. Now, I say it's obvious, but then there's some debate about this because some people believe that this text is about Jews and Gentiles, Jews being those that were here early, Gentiles being those that came, came later. And then there are others who believe that this may be a text about the Pharisees and the strict law keepers and law abiders. And then, and then there's the lay Christians that are out there, the strugglers that, are, that Jesus is ministering to. But most likely, based on what all the things we just talked about a little while ago and setting this thing up, most likely what Jesus, who Jesus is talking to is his disciples and just ordinary Christians in general. Some, some Christians with lots of knowledge, some Christians with very little knowledge. Some Christians with, who have been going to church their whole lives, and other Christians who just showed up last week. He's talking to this group of people. And as Peter's saying, Lord, I've left everything, we've left everything, I've been riding with you now for a little while, what do we get for leaving everything behind and riding, ex I mean, we're right next to you. Everywhere you go, we're right there. What do we get versus what maybe somebody that's a little distant from us and maybe they, maybe they come a little later in the game. What, what do they get versus what we get? This is Jesus' answer, this parable. And the most important group in the parable is the 11th hour group, right? That's where he spends his time. Notice what happens in the 11th hour. This, this is what encourages me so much. Look at verse 7. Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. This is, not, this is not a group that is trying to get out of work. 
This is not a group that's been trying to, you know, hey, let's just chill because I know a guy that's going to pay us the same amount that he pays the first hour, guys. So let's just try to figure out a way to stay, you know, just kind of below the radar. And then when the 11th hour comes, we'll show up. He's probably going to be looking for new employees, and then we can get in on this. The day is almost done. Why are y'all still here? Because no one has hired us. This is the group that's been rejected. This is the group that's been overlooked. We tried to find others who would bring us on, but no one has hired us. So even though there is only one hour left in the day, we're still out here. Why? Because although no one has hired us, we need whatever someone is willing to give us. No one has hired us, but that doesn't negate my need. I am in need. And I'll take whatever you're offering. Anybody in here ever felt like that? That kind of desperation, like the whole world has rejected you and there, there appears to be no room on any team in life for you. You don't fit anywhere. There's, there's no room for you. Maybe you've spent your whole life searching for such acceptance, but you've only received rejection after rejection after rejection and yet you still know that there is something missing that you need. And this is what Jesus would say to you, verse 7 again. Because no one has hired us, they said to him. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Yes, no one has hired you. You, are obvious, you have obviously been rejected, but I'll accept you. There's room in my house for you. There is room in my field for you. Doesn't matter how late you start, doesn't matter how much talent you have, doesn't matter how much knowledge you bring, there is room in my field for you. And not only is there room in my field for you, but there is actually reward in my field for you. Verse 8, it says, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So here we have the answer to Peter's question. Lord, we followed you tire tirelessly for years. Will we get more than the ones who come to this party late? Jesus answered, you'll get what you receive from God out of his own grace, out of his own sovereignty. You'll get what I decide to give you because what I give you will be grace regardless. One theologian says that while Jesus shifts the different point to a different point in this parable, it was related to his point in his conversation with the rich young ruler and the disciples. And he continues and he says this, our entrance into heaven is on God's grace, not on our righteous works. He continues, in the same way, our reward in heaven will be based on God's reckoning, not our human calculations. 
God will decide. Why? Because it's all grace anyway. You know, some people, you know, you hear these kind of, you, you hear these kind of comments that we give out sometimes like, hey, you know, man, listen, um, when I, know, I know there'll be a good place for me because I've lived a good life and that type of thing. Well, listen, if there's a good place for you, it has nothing to do with you living a good life. There'll be a good place for you because grace is there. Grace is there. Grace is there. Grace is there. That's why someone on the first hour and someone on the last hour still receives the same denarius. Because grace is there, not merit. Verse 10, it says, now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them got the same thing everyone else got. And so on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? Notice he calls him friend. This is not a punishment. Do you understand that? He's not trying to teach some kind of lesson by saying, hey, you're going to get the same thing the guy at the 11th hour guy. He says, no, you're, you're friend, friend. This is, this is, this is communion. This is, this is, we're in good graces. This, this is what we agreed upon. And so there's no loss in relationship here. There's no loss in fellowship here. You and I are on good terms, and you, and you get this good gift from me. What are we to make of this? A couple of things. Number one, here's an application for you. Don't let his grace be confused with your justice. Don't let his grace be confused with your justice. You know, they're looking and they're saying, Man, this isn't fair. Not understanding that this all <laughs> is the grace of a good landowner. The biblical, uh, one biblical theologian by the name of D.A. Carson says, in one of his unpacking of this parable, he calls to the mat anyone who would dare look to the left of them or look to the right of them and say back to God, hey, wait, you're going to bless him or her? with the same blessing that you bless me with? How is that fair, God? D.A. Carson says to that, or if someone says, well, how is that fair and how is that just? D.A. Carson responds by saying that God has every right in that moment to say, oh, you want what's fair, then go to hell. Do you, do you really want what's fair? to a people that have transgressed my ways and transgressed my laws and mocked my commandments. And, and when I call them to go right, they've gone left countless times. And when I've called them to go left, they've gone right countless times. Do you really want what's fair of me? Saints of God, in the kingdom of God, grace is the highest commodity. 
above our good works that give honor to Christ, yes, go and perform good works. We, we stand on good works. We talk about good works. But understand that your good works does not register above grace in the economy of God. Above our good works that give honor to Christ and above our daily failures that dishonor Christ, there's grace. We are all sinners who have disobeyed God's holy law, but instead of giving us the wrath that we deserve, God has met us all with overwhelming, mind-blowing grace. When he sent his son Jesus to take our place on the dying cross, it was grace. And this is where all conversations about fairness must begin in the kingdom so that we don't lose sight of the fact that every heavenly reward we ever receive will be one received due to God's grace. Don't let his grace that he is giving you be confused with the justice owed to you. How wild is it that we debate with God and even others on what kind of reward that we should receive in eternal life when we don't even deserve the eternal life? Have you ever had one of those days as a kid or, or maybe one of those weeks as an adult where when, you are, when, 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 when you've been hard-headed, rebellious, or disobedient, but then somehow, someway, you forget how disobedient you've been? And you forget to the point where you start getting picky about things. Maybe you treated your spouse like trash for a few days, but then they're about to watch a movie with you, and you try to get picky about the movie. Or maybe, or maybe you've disobeyed your parents in a crazy way, but then they decide to take you out to dinner. You get picky about the meal. Now, the wise among us know how to play this game. You don't sit down and prepare to watch a movie and say, man, I don't want to watch this movie. Can we watch something else? You say, okay, whatever movie you want to watch. Right? You know you've messed up, so you just take whatever movie they're going to give you. Kids, you don't jump in the car and say, you know, mom and dad, can't we eat somewhere else? I don't want to eat Chick-fil-A. No, you're going to eat, you, I mean, you're going to eat where we go, right? You should be happy we even going to eat. No, the wise understand the weight of their transgressions and when they are receiving grace instead of what they might actually justly deserve. Now magnify those transgressions magnify those transgressions in these particular examples an infinite amount of times, and you have just a glimpse of our relationship with God. We can't dare haggle with him and be picky with how he distributes his rewards when we have been showered with undeserved and unmerited favor that has resulted in us being turned from vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath to vessels of mercy and from citizens of hell to citizens of the kingdom of God and from earners of eternal death to recipients of eternal life. Don't let God's grace be confused with your justice. Now, lastly, don't let his generosity provoke your jealousy. Verse 13, he says, and he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? The landowner asks, do you begrudge 
my generosity? Are you jealous that I'm generous? And the most likely answer to that question is, well, yeah, kind of. You know. <laughs> a little, little bit. A little bit. I mean, I've been, I've been grinding out here in these streets, right? It's hot out here. It's long, been a long day. It's hot. And homeboy, not only did he show up an hour before closing time, but he showed up after the heat is gone. And we're talking about the cooler today or now. So he worked one cool hour and he get the same amount of money as me working 12 hot hours? Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous about the generosity. These guys have sweated and toiled under the Judea sun all day. These guys were up early to find work and were picked early. In other words, these are, these are apparently dependable workers, talented, knowledgeable. And even though they're talented and knowledgeable and even though they're up early and even though they're working long, they are receiving the same amount of pay as maybe the ones that aren't so talented and aren't so knowledgeable and couldn't find anybody to pick them up and got to work in the cool for just one hour. Here's the interesting thing here is that the issue is not funds. You understand that? It's not funds. It's not money. Because if these 11th hour guys had never showed up, the first hour guys would have took that denarius man, went home, and felt good about it. But the, the 11th hour guys came and got the denarius. That's what messed it all up. That's what robbed them of their joy. What robbed them of their joy was not the money. What robbed them of their joy was their eyes on somebody else who got the money. Do you hear that? Do you hear me, saints? See, jealousy is often born when our eyes turn from all that we've been given to grace or given by grace to what others have that we don't believe they deserve. That's where jealousy comes from. Jealousy is often born when we forget to judge ourselves and others through the lens of grace. Jealousy will have you out here well-stocked, well-fed, well-provided for, all your needs met, even some of your wants supplied, and still miserable because you can't stop staring at everybody else's life on the gram. And that's Instagram for those who are uninitiated. You can't stop fixing your eyes on what other people have. And so you can have everything you need and still be miserable. But that, does, that doesn't only apply to physical blessings, it applies to the spiritual ones. This is where a lot of legalism comes into play. The first hour saints have grown up in the church and they know scripture backwards and forwards and they went to all the Sunday school classes and have navigated all of the theological debates. And they take one look at these 11th hour saints that can't find the book of Habakkuk in the Bible and they say to themselves, oh, wait a minute. I know Jesus, you ain't ready to give them the same thing, you aren't, you aren't going to do that, are you? I've been here all alone. My mama raised me in this church. My daddy raised me in this church. I've walked with Jesus for 30 years. 
Man, I know the difference between transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and no substantiation when we talk about the Lord's Supper. I know the difference between pedo-baptism and credo-baptism when we talk about baptism. I know all of the debates. They don't know any of this. How are you going to give them the same thing that you gave me? Do they even know about the gifts of the Spirit? I do. How many disciples have they made? Because I've made a lot. You know, I once spent a, a conversation with a guy who was questioning the veracity of bedside conversions. In other words, he said, hey, man, listen, people that get converted and come to Jesus at, at their bedside, I mean, I just think you have to take that with a grain of salt. Because in his logic, the bedsider hadn't done anything to prove his or her salvation as being genuine. And my question to him was, who are they ultimately proving it to? See, this is what the first hour worker will do with the 11th hour worker, right? Try to prove whether or not someone's deserving. Who are you? You're not proving it to me. God knows what conversion has taken place because God is the orchestrator of that conversion. He's the engine of that conversion. He's the engine that is keeping that converter converted. And he is the one fueling that conversion with grace when they daily fail to meet his righteous standards. Now, that is not to say that there is no such thing as a false convert because it was Jesus himself in another parable that we'll talk about that, talk, that says that there's wheat and tares in the field. And it was Jesus himself that said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we know that there is a such thing as a false conversion. The saints of God, they don't have to prove that to you. It's God's proof. You see, I don't think sometimes it's about it's false conversions that we're concerned about. What I do believe is there is often something else going on in those moments where we have to constantly question a bedtime conversion or we question an 11th hour Christian, uh, Christianity experience. And we hand down all this laundry list of hurdles and things that they have to do in order to be approved and accepted by us. And what I think is going on is the jealousy of the first hour. I've been here and I did this, so they need to do this too in order to prove that they're safe and prove that they're right. One guy quotes and he says, if we were truly loving and good, even if we were the first workers, would we not as good people, rather than grumbling, reply something like, is it not wonderful that those who worked only one hour also received a denarius as we did? It is frightening to realize that our, our identification with the first workers and hence with the opponents of Jesus reveals how loveless and unmerciful we basically are. We may be more under the law in our thinking and less under grace than we realize. Saints of God, the same generosity and grace at work in your life is the generosity and grace at work in the Christians who came before you and the Christians who will follow you. The smart ones, grace. The talented ones, grace. The knowledgeable ones, grace. The weak ones, grace. The struggling ones, grace. Don't let God's generosity 
and love towards others create jealousy and bitterness in you. And so Jesus says, last verse, so the last will be first and the first will be last. You know, I go to a lot of restaurants. I like to eat. So I told you about my Sonics experience. Sorry, Sonics, didn't mean to put y'all on blast. Y'all don't know which one, though, so. But I also went to another restaurant. And I was leaving after a late night preaching engagement. And sometimes I don't like to eat when I, when I, you know, right before I preach or right before I speak. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. This time I just didn't feel it. So I was like, no, nah, everybody's trying to offer me food. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Preach and then preach and then um, it's time to leave. I'm getting back on the road. It's actually a traveling engagement. I'm getting back on the road. We're still in this COVID season, right? So I look up on the, on the app there, the Google app, to figure out where I can eat. I find a nice barbecue spot that says that they're open. I put my order in online. Boom. There it is. I got it in on time, all right? And, it look, and they said they, they would be open for like the next 30 minutes. This is great. So I'm going to get there five, you know, five minutes before or five minutes after the, uh, the, the time I put my order in. So I show up. There's 25 minutes left before they close. The doors are locked. What? Oh, you again. <laughs> you again. At two restaurant. And so I knock on the door because I'm like, hey, you guys aren't supposed to be closed. And, and the guy points at the sign. There's a little sign at the door that says that they close and it's different hours. And so they closed not the hour that I thought they were closing. They closed the hour before. And I was like, oh, man, doggone it. I, I said, well, can I just get my money back? Because I've already, I've already paid for my food, so I'm waving at the guy to get him to come. I said, hey, man, I didn't realize. I said, your, your, your online stuff says one thing. Can I just have my money back? And he says, yeah, sure. And he said, wait a minute. You already put it online? You already ordered it? I was like, yeah, man. And, but I didn't know you guys were going to close. He said, well, man, if you already ordered it, man, we're going to honor that. I said, well, we're, I said, well, I mean, you guys are breaking down. Y'all shutting down. He said, man, listen, we'll fire the grills back up. So they, they said, what do you want? I said, man, I, I got, I, I ordered fried okra, but, man, give me whatever you got back there that's, that's halfway warm. I said, no, man, we're going to fry the, gre- we're gonna fry the, uh, the deep, the deep, uh, deep fry back up, man. We're going get to your, get your okra. What else you want, man? I kind of wanted ribs. What, what do y'all have? We're going to get you ribs, man. Hey, y'all go back there, man. Get the, get the ribs out. They, still, they should still be warm. We'll cut, them, we'll cut them up for you. Got me the ribs. Got me the fried okra. Got me everything that I could have ever wanted. Treated me like I was there when they opened. How about that? One restaurant, I get there a few minutes early, and it, and, it felt, and it felt like I was never there. Another restaurant, I get there 30 minutes late, and it feels like I've been there when they open. Jesus is like the second restaurant. He shows us that it's not too late. When we look at Peter, we look at a denier of Jesus three times, and he is there with him. He shows us it's not too late when we look at Paul on the road to Damascus a person that was crucifying or persecuting Christians. He shows us that it's not too late when he is speaking on the cross to a thief who probably lived a thieving life all of his life. 
And on the cross, he says, remember me. Jesus says, I will. And not only will he remember you, saints, but he will treat you like you were there day one. That's the grace that is on the table for you. That's the grace that is available to anyone in this room who is saying to themselves, man, it's too late for me, bro. No, it's not too late for you. Turn your heart to Jesus today. Embrace his perfect work on a cross for you today. And he will treat you like you have always been there. Because his economy does not run on merit, folks. His economy runs on grace. And he has abundant grace to give out. Let's pray. God, we love you so much and we give you all the thanks and praise and glory and honor.